Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Pyle. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show, Apple Podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, get it automatically. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos that we talk about on today's episode. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. We start looking towards our friends at NYC Sketchfest, October 24th through the 27th at the People's Improv Theater. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to highlight a few of the acts performing this year. Today's guest is Maggie Maxwell, currently a member of Kids These Days, based out of New York City. Maggie's first sketch is called Parental Overapproval. Maggie reads the role of Jill and the father, Bob. I read the roles of Walter and the mother, Nancy. So let's go to the sketch. Parental overapproval. Interior, living room, night. Jill stands next to Walter, who sits in a chair. Jill's parents, Bob and Nancy, sit on a couch. Mom, Dad, we get it. You were big fans of Jack, but you have to accept that I'm with Walter now. It was just too perfect. Jack with our Jill? Mom, stop. Now, what did you, what did you and Dad want to say to Walter, hmm? Fine. We apologize if we've been cold or unfriendly. We are certain we'll come to like you even better than Jack. Apology accepted. Thanks, Mr. Shaw. Walter extends hand to Bob. After a moment, Bob shakes it. Please, Walt, call me Bob. Sure, but remember, Bob, please call me Walter. Bob lunges towards Walter. Son of a... No, Dad, no! Bob sits back down. I'm sorry, it's just... The wound's still sore. So sore! The wound? A broken heart. Oh! Bob and Nancy stop. I'm sorry, have I done something wrong? No, it's not you. It's them. I, I don't know, Jill. Maybe this is just too soon. Mom, I'm completely over Jack. No, I meant for us. We're not over Jack, and we don't want to be. A bead passes as Nancy sobs and Bob puts his arm around her. <sighs> oh, Nancy, maybe Jill's on to something. Finally, thank you. I mean, if Jack's moved on, well, then it must be the right thing to do. Oh. My. God. Everyone is upset. Well, I have something that might cheer us up. Jill told me not to bring anything, but I did make a little something. Oh, that's nice, I suppose. Nancy stops sobbing. Walter takes out a cake pan. Cornbread. Aw, Jack loved my cornbread. Remember that time at the chili cook-off? You know, with, uh, with, 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 with Jack? It was just the sweetest thing. He ate all that chili with me, even though, ah, gosh. Come to find out he didn't even like chili. What a guy. Jack just didn't want to ruin your fun. What a sweetie. Walter, 
that was just the kind of person he was. And that jawline. Oh, yes, that jawline. Nancy digs her hand into the cornbread and eats some. Ew, what is happening? Okay, you two, this was supposed to be an apology and fresh start with Walter. You have got to be kidding me. I wish this were all a joke, Jillian. Yeah, like one of Jack's jokes. Jack tells the best jokes. Told, Nancy. Jack told the best jokes. Bob aggressively takes a handful of cornbread and eats it ferociously. Nancy takes another handful, too. You guys didn't even like Jack at first. Hey, you know, this cornbread is outstanding. Well, I'll be damned. It's delicious. There maple syrup in this? Oh, Bob, a discerning palate. There is a smidge. Mom's recipe. Love it. Love her. Is that where you get those thick eyelashes? Ah, and those dimples. Um... Just go with it. Say, Walter, you like chili? Blackout. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Josh. How's it going? All right. So um, tell me about these over-approving parents. <laughs> yes, these over-approving uh, parents first came to uh, my mind. It was uh, Sketch 101 at UCB back in 2012. And this, this sketch through went through a number of iterations, somehow landing on this. But yeah, it was like I wanted, I wanted parents who weren't over their own child's breakup. And, you know, we're really heartbroken and heartsick uh, over this guy that their daughter broke up with. So uh, I went through, yeah, like I said, number number of drafts. Um, looking back on this now, I'm like, it's it's OK, but it is sort of a heightless wonder. Like, I feel like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really uh, elevate or go anywhere. It's just that these parents are just you know, so, so in love with Jack, but yeah, that was, that was pretty much, uh, the genesis of this. And it was, I remember it being a, it was the very first week of sketch 101. So it was a completely, uh, like free, just free reign assignment where you could write a premise sketch of some sort, no care, but just bring in something. And this, this is what it was. Where do you get to the point of taking a sketch writing class at UCB? I uh, studied political science, women's studies, and philosophy in college and left feeling uh, fairly aimless, you know, (laughs) very, very uh, just unsure of what I wanted to do next. And I was lucky enough to land a job uh, in I'm from Syracuse, New York. I went to school in Rochester, New York for college. And I moved back home and I got a a job at the Newhouse School at Syracuse University, which is a school of public communications. And it was only one when I was there, uh, you know, kind of in my first adult setting that it hit me that people study television because so many of our students were studying television. Mm. And I loved TV so much that I felt foolish in that moment of like, oh, I, I, 
I loved what I studied in college, but I had not even had the realization that I could have studied television, radio, film. Those were things that people, you know, do it. Other schools do it, do it Newhouse. So I was there, I was uh, working, and I, I was fortunate enough to land in some screenwriting class, uh, a screenwriting class, and then a history of American entertainment class, which was uh, very uh, all intensive and um, not all intensive, just intensive. Mm-hmm. So it was there that I started writing scripts and I befriended a member of the faculty who had written for shows like Captain Kangaroo. Ooh. Yeah. And he was just incredibly, he's a, an incredibly generous, uh, nice person, Peter Moeller. And he told me if I liked TV and I felt the itch to, you know, write a spec script, he kind of explained what that was to me that I should try it. And we would meet at a diner on, on Saturday mornings and he'd go over my writing. And I wrote my first sketch or excuse me, my first script in word. I just wrote a, like a, a 30 rock spec script. And then he taught me how to format scripts uh, properly or roughly, roughly properly and encouraged me to apply for graduate schools in comedy writing and television writing. Uh, do you remember what the, the plot of your 30 rocks spec script was? Oh gosh, it was, oh gosh. So I remember there was something with Tracy having like a pet frog. This was something that was going on and it was, oh, I wish I remembered more, but there was also Liz Lemon was having some ongoing Ongoing argument with the Postal Service, which was also a storyline, but figured in, I guess, prominently to somehow the A storyline, <laughs> uh, basically all about the post office. And I don't remember what was going on with Jenna, but <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But no, I don't. I don't remember, even though this was like my 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 pride and joy at the time. Yeah, it's, it's funny how your pride and joy at the time, you completely yeah. forget certain yeah. aspects of it. Yeah, it fades into obscurity and 30 rock there's so many like balls to juggle if you're writing a spec script for that like yes so many characters so many like opportunities for weirdness completely i do remember writing the first one and it being like 40 pages and peter was like cool so television shows are 22 (laughs) 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 and i was like oh okay very good very good like i was trying to write 30 rock the the screenplay initially but yeah, he 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 reined it in for me. <laughs> so you mentioned loving television. What was like your earliest comedy memory? So I uh, I grew up in a household where my my parents were really into comedy and basically just being like comedy nerds. I would say so. My dad's a public school teacher and my mom's a social worker. They're retired now, but growing up, I think they really needed the reprieve from their their day to day jobs and. Me and my brothers uh, were constantly watching. My brothers and I were constantly watching whatever they were watching, which was a lot of uh, VHS tapes that would go on at you know eleven thirty-five of Letterman or Saturday Night Live. And my parents also had some kind of VHS set of uh, SCTV, so that would mm. also also be happening. And we were also really into the Marx Brothers and Laurel and Hardy and and that kind of really old, old school stuff. So 
we used to just reenact, my brothers and I would reenact a lot of uh, our favorite uh, sort of scenes from things as kids. My dad was constantly filming us on a enormous, you know, shoulder breaking uh, camcorder. So I, those are some of my earliest memories of it. It just sort of being the soundtrack of what was going on was what, what were these late night shows as well as uh, when I was occasionally allowed to like watch, watch things like Cheers really early on when I was very young and uh, then into to some more sitcoms. But yeah, those are basically the things I just remember being constantly just on in the background, whether or not sometimes paying keenly, you know, uh, mm. paying attention to and other times it just being being on. Yeah, I it's a common thing in my head of like I don't understand how people go through like real life and real jobs and then come home and like want to watch like crime dramas. Yeah. Like watch comedy. Like relax, right. enjoy yourself for a moment or two. Like Completely. Yeah, there's enough heartache yeah. uh, going on in real real life. So, yeah, my parents were really of that of that mind as well. So, it was a much needed comedic escape. Uh, you mentioned Saturday Night Live. I ask everybody, uh, who would be your favorite SNL cast member? Oh, so this is this is so difficult. But I I I think I have to land on Maya Rudolph. I think mm. would be my favorite. I just think that she there's nothing she can't do. She can uh, she does original character so well. She can obviously impersonate anybody to a T, and also just really elevate. Uh, that person to, you know, just a hilarious, hilarious end, you know, think of things that we would never think about, about that person and, and really underline it and exaggerate it. Um, and I also think, you know, she can sing, she can dance, she can sell of just a, a joke with one face. Um, it was great to see her on SNL during the premiere and she was mm. so good as Kamala Harris. And so she just continues to just be outstanding. But yeah, I think that she would have to be my favorite, though. I have a lot of a lot of faves. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, with how much like actors are getting work and how TV has changed in my lifetime of like, you know, do small do a couple of like, guest roles on a couple different shows at the same time. Like she's now also on that new cartoon on Fox, Bless the Hearts. Yes. Recurring role on The Good Place. Yes. And then Big Mouth comes back this week as we were right. like dominating. The place. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And just finding ways to, yeah, just kind of reiterate and, you know, find different media to plug into and create. And yeah, she just continues to be such a boss. It's, it's awesome. Uh, okay, so you go to grad school for comedy yeah. writing, right? Well, so I, I well, almost, <laughs> okay. almost. Um, yeah, thanks for for bringing that back because I was all over the place. But yeah, that's so fine. no, that's fine. I'm <laughs> you know, steering the ship here. Yeah, hey, I love it. Uh, so yeah, so then I'm I'm you know excited to apply to some grad programs and have this like I feel really uh, just like on fire at this point of like, Oh my God, you know, I really know what I want to do now. And I want to be a comedy writer. So I apply to Newhouse where I work. I apply to their television radio film program and kind of on a whim, I apply to Tish for their, what they call their dramatic writing program. Uh, but is, 
it encapsulates comedy writing as well as dramatic writing. Mm -hmm. So I submit a version of this 30 rock spec strip that I somehow cannot <laughs> remember. Uh, I submit that and I, I get into both programs, which is great, which is like, incredibly exciting. And then comes the part where it's like, Oh, this is what they cost. <laughs> they cost, of course. Yeah. And it just really wasn't that feasible. Right. Uh, and, and Newhouse could have been, I worked, you know, I worked there. I lived in Syracuse, obviously the, the cost of living in Syracuse, a little more manageable than in New York. And so I did think about that and I, you know, loved a lot of the faculty I'd gotten to know while working there, but I was really on the fence. Like, do I just go into much further debt than I already am from undergrad and just go for it with Tish? So I had a about a week to decide when UCB Thurco came to Syracuse. And so I had seen UCB, I'd seen one UCB show to this point while I was in New York for work, for an event for work. And I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I knew the importance of UCB uh, to my, my new passion. And so, uh, of course, I'm going, you know, I'm going to this UCB show. And I go by myself because I like am a young staff person at this college I didn't go to. I don't know anybody. So I, I went by myself and it's like fraternity brothers and sorority sisters. And it was just such an amazing, amazing show. Do you I remember really, who was in that show? Yeah. So I feel bad that I, I'm almost certain who the fourth person is, but I certainly know who the three other people were. So it was John Murray, who would end up being my improv 101 teacher down the oh, road, cool. which was really neat. Uh, Fran Gillespie, mm. Brandon Gardner. And then I talked to John about this later. So I, sh I should say this with confidence. Fairly sure it was Drew Johnston as the fourth. Okay. I really only recognize the one name of mm. Fran Gillespie, but like, yeah, I'm not totally within the UCB loop of who everyone mm. is. No problem. Yeah, they're they're all just like fantastic, and uh, if it is Drew, he's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and so I I really enjoyed the show, and I was like so, I was really battling about what to do about this grad school thing. And after the show, uh, everybody, a lot of people were talking to John, who I would find out later was a an SU alum, so he had a lot of people that he knew at the show. So he was being surrounded by folks who wanted to catch up with him. And Fran Gillespie and Brandon Gardner were kind of just standing off to the side, wait, waiting for John. And so I nervously approached them and said, I have, uh, I have a question. I'm, I'm kind of trying to uh, break into comedy writing and I don't really know what I'm doing. And Fran Gillespie, who, uh, who I don't know, you know, now, uh, but, acted like she was just so nice and like warm. She was like, tell me what's going on. Like what's, what's the, what's the deal? So I explained to her about my situation and she <laughs> kindly interrupted me and was like, Oh no, 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 don't, no, don't go to grad school, <laughs> get to New York, go to UCB. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, no, it's not any more complicated than that to me. Just find a way to get to New York don't spend your money on grad school, go to UCB. And so 
I've heard her on a podcast describe how she's apparently given this kind of advice to people and she's sort of forgotten. And she feels a little bashful about like people like myself have like thanked her and stuff on social media for like, yay, thanks for like keying me into UCB. And she's like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you should do. But regardless of her uh, level of confidence and her advice, I took it. And that was... February or March of 2012. And it took me till October uh, to procure a job and a living situation. And I made the move to New York, then sans grad school. Mm. Uh, So you moved to New York City. What's the first thing you do? Do you do improv or sketch first? So I do sketch first. And my first sketch class uh, coincided pretty closely with Hurricane Sandy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a wild time. Uh, I was lucky that I was okay, but I lived in Alphabet City at the time, which got hit fairly fairly hard by Hurricane Sandy. Obviously not as bad as a lot of other places, but I had been living in New York about a week and a half, so I had no idea what I was doing, where I was going, uh, and then within a few days, it was like, no power, your phone's dead, uh, you should probably get out of your apartment, and my like Craigslist stranger roommate and I made the sojourn out of our apartment eventually, and I had my first UCB class probably maybe like three or four days after the hurricane hit and it wasn't canceled because the training center at the time was next to a police station and they had a generator. (laughs) So they were like, lights are on, classes on, don't care how you have to get here or if you can get home, you, we have class, which was truly bonkers looking back, but yeah, they didn't cancel it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I did, I went to the class, went to the first class. I remember asking whoever was working the front desk at the time, if I could sleep there. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, no, 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 you can't. And I asked people about half my class made it, if that, maybe fewer. And Carrie McGuire was my sketch 101 teacher, great teacher. And People, there were like two people who were riding bikes back to Brooklyn. One person was like staying with a friend nearby. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. And I, I stayed in a Hurricane Sandy shelter oh, no. that night after class, which my mom loved. She loved that I did that. She was so like, oh my God. She was like, where are you going? You don't know where you are. Now you're going to be in a shelter. And I'm like, mom, it's a shelter in the word. You should be comfortable. And she's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> it's temporary. It's one night. Or, That's right. yeah. yeah. So, so I started with that. And despite the rocky start, it was, it was a good class. Um, we did lose a lot of people throughout it. Um, just cause I think it was, you know, it's funny, like improv is a, a ton of work, but you do it all there. You don't take it home and sketch you gotta work you gotta work at home you gotta write the script yeah Yeah, there's homework people don't realize that there's homework exactly so i think i think we lost about half the class uh but carrie carrie was great and i was fairly burnt out after that class that said i'm like ooh, i i lasted i made it i did all my homework but i did 
remember, I do remember feeling fairly exhausted after that class. And I did improv after that for a while. Um, with that sketch class, like, I don't, I don't know how many people I've talked to that have gone through the UCB sketch program. So mm-hmm. uh, what else were your memories for the rest of the class? Like what kind of like assignments were there? Mm. Sure. Yeah, we had, uh, we had, like I said, the first week, it was just kind of like bring in a sketch. It can be about anything from there. We did topical character genre parody. I think I did some sort of Batman related, you know, there's not enough Batman sketches. So added to the canon there. Um, genre. Did I say char- character? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Oh, and a uh, commercial parody. That was okay. that was one. And we watched a good number of uh, like video examples in that class. Like we'd wheel in a TV. It sounds like it was 1988, but it was 2012. Um, and we'd watch we'd watch some like VHSs of, you know, a Sketch 101 curriculum tape that were provided some good examples. I remember doing that. And yeah, that was I think. That there were probably a couple other themes, but those were mostly it. And then you go to improv. So do you do like the full UCB like coursework? Yeah, I sort of I sort of bounce back and forth uh, between sketch and improv for for a few years. So yeah, I, I did improv one hundred and one pretty quickly into twenty thirteen, which I had with with John Murray, who's this great guy and was a super supportive sketch 101 teacher that whole class we like really lucked out and had just like everyone was such a sweetheart and very funny and I look back on our sketch 101 show, or excuse me my our improv 101 show and again if I were to watch it I might feel differently but my memories of it are like that was a great show <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it was just like a love fest so maybe I just have these like rose-colored glasses on but uh, and then I, I continued with improv for for a while there. Uh, eventually took sketch two hundred one uh, in in the midst of those. Had uh, Rachel Mason, and she was a great teacher. She was really good. And then um, that became more like a writers' room. A little more. It was a uh, more collaborative. You get more feedback from people in the room. Give more feedback. Pitch pitch some jokes. Then, uh, yeah, all the while taking taking a ton of improv. I'm on a you know improv indie improv teams at this point, uh, and then it wasn't until my sketch 301 class, uh, who I had with Madeline Baldanzi, and again, excellent excellent teacher, uh, very very informative. Um, that I it was that class that we created from that group of people an indie sketch team. Uh, which was nice because I had been used to doing a lot of improv on, in my free time. So it was cool to start doing a lot more sketch in my free time. So tell me about this new sketch team that came out of this class. Sure. So we were called, <laughs> we were called Cheap Wigs, which was, I don't know how we eventually landed on that, but great group of people. We've been defunct for like a couple of years, but we... <laughs> Um, we get a new like on our Facebook page, like weekly. Cause I feel like there's just some person who's like, Oh good. She, Oh wigs for an affordable <laughs> price. Perfect. I've been searching for high quality cheap wigs. Um, 
And so then it's just like pictures from Sketchfest 2017 and no links to wigs. But um, yeah, so <laughs> we we had, uh, yeah, just like a really fun group of people that were sort of like friends of friends. Uh, and we all got to know each other through that. It was about half half comprised of people from my Sketch 301 class and half that were friends of, of those individuals. And we put together... A handful of shows, really silly stuff. Like a lot, this team was really good at genre parody. I thought a lot of my teammates like wrote really good, good genre parodies. Actually, including like a very good, um, oh, not Batman, but um, oh gosh, never mind, another superhero. But that one was very good. I just didn't want to insult the whole superhero genre. Um, and did a lot of very like meta meta things that were very tongue in cheek. So yeah, it was a good training ground. It was some of the first sketch acting I really did, which was really fun to try to do and, you know, test the waters for myself on that. So yeah, it was really great. Supportive group of people, great ideas. Very, very fun time. Yeah. You, I mean, we were talking about how you were more focused on the writing side. So how, how did becoming a performer feel Mm. it felt good it felt like daunting at first and I had I had these initial issues with just admitting that I wanted to act I think was an issue I had to get over a little bit and I still sort of contend with even now of like I'll write sometimes I'll write a sketch and I really want to have a certain part in it Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be kind of difficult sometimes for me to be like, and, uh, ooh, well, I would love, um, to play this person. Uh, and then there are other times <laughs> my current teammates would know that like, I'll just name the character Maggie. And then it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> dang. Okay. Wow. What a coincidence. Or she wants to play that. So I think it felt, uh, really exciting and exhilarating to be doing the acting. Cause I, I loved being on stage for improv and really enjoyed doing that. So it did sort of translate that, okay, you really like embodying these characters when you're doing them in improv and you can probably embody them when you've got, you know, lines and you can rehearse and try to perfect these, uh, these characters. So, yeah, I think once I got over my own, uh, you know, just sort of like bashfulness and, my own, uh, I don't know, there's something about like, oh, I don't want people to think I just want attention, which is like, it's fine. It's fine if you want to act and you want to, you know, uh, put yourself out there in that way. So I think I had to just sort of get over it. And then it was also, yeah, I'll also say, Josh, that it helped that cheap wigs, (laughs) it was sort of an all hands on deck out of necessity for scrappier teams where sort of everyone has to, uh, everyone has to write, everyone has to act. Everyone's got to push the couch to the side of the stage in between the scenes that you become sort of adjusted to the idea of like, okay, I'm going to be out there. And then I really also liked being out there. So it's been a self-reinforcing thing that, okay, I've, I've, you know, gotten over the, the hump of feeling like it's somewhat uh, immodest to, act which is kind of asinine to me now a little bit that I I love actors and um I love actors quote me on that I love actors no but I I love 
what a lot of people do on stage and on screen. So uh, it's felt good to admit to myself, I want to do it too. You had mentioned that uh, your parents would break out the video camera for you and your siblings. Did you yeah. do any other performing growing up <laughs> other than that? Yeah, I w- we did. You know, my brothers are uh, older than I am and they're closer in age and they would do a lot of hijinks together, uh, which I would like watch and sort of like get in on as I got older. But we have, uh, you know, just a troubling amount of footage of me just talking straight to camera about like my day. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. We've got more more things like that. We have a few uh, things of me. Oh God, describing this is just going to sound like just the worst things multiplied on top of each other. But someone else's kid, in this case, me, describing their dreams. Mm. What a nightmare! But I was doing a lot of acting out of what my dad would have me act out. Well, what happened in the dream? And then um, I would kind of give a, a like a little play of what happened in these. Oh boy, you know, just terrifying child dreams. So, you know, we have those. <laughs> um, oh, you know what? We have this really crazy video of me uh, uh, as a, I'm a baby in a high chair and I'm probably like one and a, I don't know, maybe a little older than one. And everyone is trying to prevent me from sleeping. And so every one of my family members is like, keeps trying to wake me up or like say something loud in reference to what's on the TV. And then I eventually um, start screaming at everybody like very ferociously, like, I don't like it. I don't like it. And I must be older because I'm speaking. And eventually I like really flip out on everybody and then everyone is silent. And then I just start going, (laughs) 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 which is really scary but yes it was like oh i wasn't mad i've been playing with you the whole time um feel free to completely nix this <laughs> from the so, but like but no other like stage productions no high oh. school drama no what a thought what a thought oh yeah certainly yeah that makes much more sense um <laughs> yes we can talk about your i mean childhood videotapes all you want like, about those more no i got more uh 44 minutes of that um no uh i definitely did some stage stuff as a kid but all very very haphazardly uh sort of pageants everyone had to be involved in i will say i was a lead role in our kindergarten Christmas show in which if your name was Mary or Joseph, you got to play Mary or Joseph. So those roles were taken. We had a Mary and a Joseph in my class, but I got to be the angel Gabriel and I had to share the news to Mary and Joseph that Mm -hmm. they were expecting a child. And this is, uh, I had a line that was something total way too complicated for a five-year-old to have that it was like mary you are the vessel for the lord and savior jesus christ like just nothing a child would even understand and i got really nervous for the show and then i approached mary and joseph to tell them jesus was on his way and that she was pregnant and i ended up just saying um yeah mary i have some news and just 
like threw the script out the window um, and was like, you're pregnant and it's the uh, baby is uh, it's Jesus. Bye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, not the plan, but the improv kicked in early. Uh, so then how do we get two kids these days? Sure. So I, like I said, I was, I was taking some character classes at UCB and in one of my classes I met my uh, now teammate, Rachel Burke, as well as my teammate, Sasha Gary. And we just sort of hit it off in this class. I think there was a lot of, a lot of like mutual admiration for what the other people were doing in this class. And so we sort of were just vibing off of one another. And shortly after the class ended, Rachel suggested that uh, Sasha, Rachel, and a couple other friends of ours maybe put a group together to work on characters more regularly. And we never got that, we never got that off the ground, scheduling wise. And instead, in a stroke of genius, Rachel incorporated 10 people and got that off the ground somehow. And she sort of put this group together herself. She's the common denominator and she pulled people like Sasha and myself from that class. She had worked with um, a couple people in other classes. She went to college with one of my teammates. So she thought all of these people, you know, were, were good to work with, were a lot of fun and very nice. And then she just sort of wanted to build a ragtag sketch team from there. And that began, we started rehearsing, I think in December of 2017. And we pretty readily put together a really nutty, fun show. And it was somewhat uh, seat of the pants for the first show. I remember there was a lot of like last minute sketch changes, like a lot, lot of line changes at the end. And it was like, do we know what we're doing? Um, and then we just had a really great show. It was one of those shows where like everything kind of comes together. Even the things that don't come together don't come together in a really delightful way. And so we we're kind of just testing the waters, I think, as a team. Did we, was this going to be a one-off show? We weren't sure. And then we just continued uh, to do it. And it really built nicely from there. And we got a monthly show at the pit. Uh, so we would, we had our first show at the pit loft, which is a space in New York that um, is, is kind of like, it sounds as a, like a uh, upstairs space and it's a black box theater and then they have a larger space because um, we are set, we sold that out. So then we got to go to a bigger space. And so we really were fortunate to be hosted there. And then we all agreed, like we had a good thing going. We were really enjoying these monthly shows in New York. So should we take this on the road? And we applied to a lot of different festivals um, and we started doing those and like loved, we really love going on the road and doing it. It's really fun. And so it's really just been a team of um, just very hardworking people who have prioritized this entity above a lot of other things. And we have a really uh, great, I feel like capable group. So it's really fun to write for the group as well as act with these people. So yeah, we've got great chemistry and we've been fortunate uh, to sort of let it blossom from there. Uh, when was the first Kids These Days show? The first first Kids These Days show, I want to say, was <laughs> this whole 
podcast is like, I have uh, memory problems, but I think it was January of 2018. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'd be remiss because the first time I, I think I heard of kids these days, uh, I'm friends with your cousin, Patrick, who yes. was just a recent guest. Yes. And he had posted about his cousin's sketch team was going to be on this <laughs> NBC show, Bring uh, the Funny. That is so nice. How do you get to Bring the Funny? Sure. So, uh, so yeah, Kids These Days, we've, we've been doing a lot of stuff on the road in a, a fairly short period of time. And we did San Francisco Sketch Fest uh, last January, which was a ton of fun. And... Uh, we had just applied to bring the funny. So there was an open application online, uh, okay. which we, we submitted to, and we didn't hear anything for a little bit. And then we sort of don't know exactly. We suspect that somebody at San Francisco Sketchfest saw us because there was discussion of there being some industry there, uh, particularly NBC. So that is sort of we've put two and two together on that. Uh, and then shortly after we got back from San Francisco, we heard from NBC and they wanted to interview us uh, with their casting, uh, with their casting group. We had more conversations with them. Uh, there was a discussion of, you know, what we might want to stage if we got the chance to be on the show. And then pretty swiftly it moved into, can you come to L.A. and and audition in per- uh, person? So that uh, was a really uh, swift thing once it took off. And we kind of got ourselves together and we're asking bosses for uh, time off. And uh, like in my case, I was like, I can't exactly say why. Uh, I just have to go. And we went to LA, did the audition, felt really good about it. We had to do a couple sketches for that and some other, some other um, interviews and things like that. And then we found out a few weeks later that we were on the show. We were scheduled to be on, on bring the funny. Very cool. Um, so I watched the episodes this morning. Uh, cause I, I, I just don't watch TV as much as I used to. Sure. Um, Jeff Foxworthy loved you guys in the first episode. <laughs> I know. What's that like, it, Oh my God. It was so funny. I think that like, uh, so I, I'm kind of on the ground by the end of that sketch, but I could tell out of the corner of my eye that, that he was standing and it was, <laughs> it was a fairly like out of body experience to be there at all, regardless. And then to have him stand for our sketch, uh, it felt like something out of a fever dream. <laughs> With bring the funny, uh, one of the things I was very curious about is, when you listen to like interviews with standard comedians, they're very particular about the room that they're performing in. Mm. And that room looked huge to me. Yeah. How, what would like, was there any, and that, that, that stage was big. The, and I feel like it has to be bigger than any other stage you've performed on mm-hmm. just physically, like the, the dimensions of the stage and the yeah. dimensions of the room mm-hmm. was performing in that, that, that space, like that much, more daunting than the pit loft or you know striker <laughs> yeah yeah oh for for sure it was it was definitely more daunting it was a beautiful stage um i have this video of the team when we first go on it and we're like half of us are like pretty emotional because <laughs> it's mm. just like overwhelming uh and i think that it was 
it, it was a lot to consider while we were doing our sketch because we've done uh, both of the sketches we performed on Bring the Funny, we've done many times. But obviously, we've done them. Uh, it, it's like sort of a Russian nesting doll of cascading cascadingly smaller stages throughout the country. So to do it on that stage, we had to consider uh, just how far apart we were from each other. Um, where is the camera? And when I take the phone call and Timmy hot dogs, uh, like how far away do I need to be? Um, how close can Scott uh, be to someone and still throw a hot dog at them? So there's all these considerations that just logistically are somewhat daunting. And then you remember that you're performing for a national television show in front of more people in the room than you ever have. And three of them are celebrities. So, <laughs> uh, and one of them's Keenan. Yeah, so, like... uh, so we, we felt, I think, overwhelmed. And then you sort of had to at least it's, I don't know about the rest of the team, but I was like, this is overwhelming. This is insane. This is otherworldly. And then I had to just sort of put like a cap on that and be like, great, let's pretend we're at a sketch fest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what went into the process of picking the sketches that you performed on the show? Uh, so we, we had performed Timmy uh, hot dogs, as we call it from pretty Early on, Scott Perkman, my teammate Scott, he wrote that sketch, and it has hit every time we've done it. From the very first time we staged it, which, you know, I love Scott, and I've come to trust his harebrained artistic choices, but it, when I first read the sketch, I had no idea if it would go over with people. That yeah, it feels like a sketch that wouldn't... Uh, <laughs> that has to be on its feet like on paper <laughs> it might not feel as good as it does seeing it live to totally i think this one is is definitely one that's really hard to imagine until you're seeing it and so we knew that that one had been so successful uh everywhere we had taken it and every time we had done it in new york so we sort of had a unanimous feeling about that sketch that that was so clearly one of our strongest. So uh, we went into with that and NBC really liked uh, how physical it was. They were big on that. It was, I think they had a, I don't know. I think there was maybe some concern that sketch would be cerebral and right. uh, play smaller. Like you were saying, the stage is so big that, you know, you can't really do subtlety that much on that stage. You really kind of do need literally a man ripping his shirt off and throwing hot dogs at people. So it felt good for that stage. And then we had also done what we call woke sex song written by Rachel Burke of my team that we had done a number of times as well. And that had also, those guys, they sing this, you know, R and B sort of parody song about how they're so woke. Um, and they explain, you know, they sort of mansplain feminism to try to get with these women in this infuriatingly ironic scene. So that had also just really resonated with all of our audiences, again, both in New York and on the road. So those pretty readily rose to the top as being really solid in our experience. And again, similar to Timmy Hot Dogs, Woke has this element of like, there's singing, there's dancing, there's choreography, there's 
Uh, you can make wild costume choices. So it felt ripe for the kind of bring the funny stage that they had. Uh, people that haven't seen you on national television, mm-hmm. kids these days, what, what could people expect from a kids these days show? Mm, sure. So I think, I think we have a really good mix of sketches that are about something and about nothing. Like uh, even, even on bring the funny, we, we sort of catered to that where Timmy hot dogs is a really absurd, not about anything political sketch that sort of just exists to make you laugh. And our woke sex song sketch is more about political commentary. It's about feminism, you know, it's a feminist sketch. So it's making some sort of societal critique. And I think we have a really good mix as a team of the, the, the kind of sketches that will uh, take you nowhere and some that'll take you somewhere very pointedly. Very cool. So as we're winding down, mm-hmm. um, I ask everybody, I'm always like, these are my curious questions. Uh, you've been doing sketch comedy for a while, started, you know, her Superstorm Sandy or however we called it, <laughs> yep. taking the class then. Uh, what's something that you've learned about sketch comedy that you would pass on to a new writer? I think that something I would pass on, and this is not advice I always take myself, is to, and I just literally just did it, <laughs> is to try to not qualify your pitches. Uh, I, I have a tendency to do this and I think that there's, uh, again, sort of a, maybe a modest, it comes from a good place to, to say, oh, well, um, I have this idea. It's really dumb and I don't know if it's going to work. And then there's all these qualifiers of why, you know, X, Y, and Z, why a sketch isn't going to work and why this idea is crazy. But I think that, um, I would encourage writers to, uh, if you're going to into a room where you're pitching uh, either your classmates in a sketch class or your sketch teammates, just um, try to give the paint the full picture of the sketch um, as succinctly and clearly as you can without already signaling to people that it might be bad. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't want to neg your your own idea <laughs> right, right exactly. off the bat. Yeah, there's enough pickup artists out there to and uh, <laughs> to make y'all day. So yeah, don't don't do that to yourself. Try try to confidently uh, pitch your ideas. That's that's a big thing I would say. And uh, I have been another piece of advice I would give is that I've been a very verbose writer throughout the years, and the practical nature of sketch is that you want your teammates to remember their lines and you want the audience to remain engaged. So I would say as much as there might be a moment uh, for some sort of soliloquy, there's times where a monologue is is great and exactly comedically what you need. Uh, I would encourage people to sort of uh, cut, cut more of the, the fat of their sketches. Uh, and uh, this is constantly advice I'm also trying to take. Yes, I, I feel like sketch comedy isn't the best place for those like Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith style <laughs> of dialogue. No, no. Uh, it's yeah, just just as a practical notion of having to memorize it. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, I will. My I've put some of my teammates really through through the ringer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shout out to them for remembering uh, so well. But yeah, it is something I've learned more and more that uh, short short really can be sweet and sketches not particularly plotty. So if you like plot, that's awesome. Um, but maybe it is more of a sitcom or screenplay you want to write. Uh, sketch sort of exists in the here and now, and we don't care what happens to. Maybe we do care what happens to Timmy Hot Dogs. Who knows? But I think we we don't really after the moment we say goodbye to him. Yeah, sketch comedy is a nice like for every story that there can be in sketch comedy like it's it's all about the joke it's all about the funny of it like mm-hmm. this isn't your place for you know a tennessee oh i mean i can't say that because there's been really funny tennessee williams sketch shows <laughs> here in the city but um yeah yeah plot isn't always the biggest thing yeah for sure Agreed. uh and then finally i mean we talked about you know being a poli-sci student mm-hmm. and then discovering that you can study television and writing Mm -hmm. and wanting to do grad school but going to ucb instead Mm -hmm. uh why comedy why is comedy a big part of your life now yeah i think that uh it's the thing i've always cared about the most if that to just give a very earnest sort of answer is that as much as i i mean i'm really did enjoy my uh, my undergraduate degrees, and those really inform my writing now because a lot of my writing is about gender, about politics. So it's all infused there and, and, and helps me come up with more comedic ideas. But I think that, I don't know if, if comedy is the most important thing to me or it's just the thing I enjoy the most. And I think it's the thing as a kid that made me the most excited was that I could uh, put on my like small black and white television I had been allowed to have in my bedroom from my my grandparents gave me that had three channels and that I could sneak watch Saturday Night Live and you know fall asleep on the floor during Showtime at the Apollo like um, though also a great show and I'd stay up for as much of that as I could but I think comedy is just what I have the greatest passion for and I feel like is the avenue for me to express my other interests, be they, you know, political um, or, you know, as far as, you know, you know, I've been a writer for Reductress. So it's the kind of thing where feminist ideas are able to come out in a way that that make people laugh and make people think. So I think it's sort of the like kind of perfect combo for me of I love making people laugh. It's what makes me happiest. And I love making, you know, people think if I can and comedy gives you that opportunity as well. Very cool. All right. Thanks Maggie. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. You can find Maggie on Instagram at Maggie MXwell, Maxwell without the A, and on the internet at MaggieMaxwell.me. Kids these days will be performing at NYC Sketchfest at the Striker Stage on Saturday, October 26th at 10 p.m. Head to thepit-nyc.com for more information 
You can follow Kids These Days on Instagram at Kids These Days Comedy and on Facebook at facebook.com slash kids these days comedy. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at Philly Sketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band No No, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.